Welcome to episode 214 of the No Proscenium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro studio in Los Angeles, a.k.a. the kitchen table. This week on the show, choreographer Corinne Ann Wicks is here to talk to us about her work. Yes, that's how it goes. I recorded this entire thing. I was very happy with it. And then uh, I listened back and it sounded weird and tinny. So uh, you get you get slightly surly. <laughs> Got to re-record the opening, Noah, for the show this week. Um, let's do the backstory here on Corinne real fast. So uh, a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, a couple months ago, at time, I mean, we know it's a flat circle, but it also repeats, which is why it's a circle um, that is flat. Um, I saw her show. I love you so much. Squeeze me to death at Highways Performance Space in Santa Monica. It's coming back, by the way, in October to Bootleg, uh, over in uh, over near Echo Park. Uh, you should check it out. Uh, the piece is um, very much uh, kind of a, a, a remix of a, a dance concert, um, and the thing is, is that the language she's talking, the language that her dancers are talking is the language of immersive. Uh, it's about connection. It's about um, the audience being connected to the performers, the performers seeking connection to individual members of the audience, the audience as a whole kind of being a living, breathing organism in relationship to the work. So um, I saw that work. I, that was must have been back in July. I was suitably impressed. And when Graham, our guest from last week, reached out about the immersive intensive and was saying, hey, do you know some folks who might be uh, around? Um, Corinne's came to mind because I was curious as to what would happen if she was trying to talk directly to an immersive audience and not talking to a traditional dance audience and kind of bringing them into, into this liminal space between our worlds. The work she produced casting is fantastic. Uh, one of the best things I've experienced all year. Uh, very excited if she gets a chance to remount that. And uh, it, it walked away with the grand prize from the Invitational. Uh, and there, uh, very much, very much talking the language of immersive. Um, and still, again, that, that deep-seated thing that happens underneath, which is this, this drive for connection and this acknowledgement that what separates the performing arts from the recorded arts is that they are happening live in space connected to the people who are there in the moment um, and just opening up channels for that fe those feedback loops to be created sometimes literally feedback loops to be created inside the work so we're going to get to all that in a bit um, checking in real fast on the patreon we are crawling back up to uh, where we were at the top of the month i want to thank maya dorner la schaefer and Beth Cates for jumping on this week. We're up to 270 patrons, which I believe I believe we had we had dinged that number before, at uh, 1,525 uh, a month. Um, uh, this is now the, the primary source of my income, and I live in Los Angeles. So just want to point out <laughs> that we're you know we're not really at a living wage right now, uh, but we aspire to be. Um, the Patreon is our our it's our everything right now. So um, there's there's freelancing work here and there. There's piece work as we can get it. Um, and we're good to the end of the year. But um, hey, let's be blunt. Uh, without you, this thing goes away and uh, we need more. So patreon.com slash no proscenium. One dollar a month is all we ask. If everyone threw in that, we'd be doing we'd be we'd be doing fairly OK. So um, and five dollars a month. And, you know, we'd be probably where we need to be. So. There you go on that. The sustaining backers of No Persinium are Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Samuel Mustry. Uh, we're going to come back uh, after our interview here. 
uh, thought of a couple of things in the original version of this opening that I wanted to talk to everybody about. Uh, part of that's because uh, we have some great pieces coming out of the Venice International Film Festival, thanks to Pola, who is our um, our new correspondent uh, out of Berlin. Uh, she's actually been doing this work for years uh, and getting her work that she writes in German uh, translated into English, and now we are helping to distribute that over here. So. Um, we're doing we're doing excerpts of what she's got, and you can check out all of her work. It always links back to uh, her own home website. This is really exciting for us, and it also she's been doing a lot of stuff in the uh, VR and alternate uh, augmented reality space. And that's one of the things I want to talk to you guys about on the back end, but it's not really pertinent to uh, a piece about choreography and dance. So the rant goes on the back end. And I'm uh, going to talk a little bit about some shows I saw in L.A. this week, uh, the reviews for which will be uh, coming up at the top of next week or over the weekend uh, if I get enough time to write in the next 24 hours. So stick around for even more No Persinium after our feature interview, which starts now. <laughs> Thanks for coming down today. Uh, I've now said that twice now because a car started before the last time. So it's like, there's a little bit of artificiality here. Listen, it's all good. <laughs> so as people know from the cold open, you're a dancer and a choreographer. And um, what what led you into doing immersive work? Um, so I saw Sleep No More when I was living in New York. And I was blown away. And then shortly after I saw Sleep No More, my sister came to New York for a summer. She was doing an internship, and she lived with me. And she went to see Sleep No More. And my sister's seen dance over the years because we're very close. So inevitably, she comes to see my shows. I've taken her to see some shows. She went to see Sleep No More with some friends and went back the next week. And... As I said, she's seen dance, but um, I wouldn't call her a dance aficionado. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that without my influence, it's the thing that she would gravitate towards. And she went back the next week. She was online on all like the chat rooms, finding all the Easter eggs. She like went back and was like, I'm going to see it again. These are all the things I miss. These are all the things I want to see. And she was just so engaged and... Um, at the time, I was feeling a little bit disheartened with seeing all the same faces at all the dance shows in New York, mm. um, just sort of slowly coming to the realization of how small our audiences are, uh, that they're aging, that they're dwindling. Um, and so I saw her reaction to that show, and I had this aha moment of like, oh my God, like, this is this is it. This is how we sort of revive an art form that is losing audiences. Um, so that was the real aha moment for me, I'd say. Yeah, there's there's a lot in that show. I mean, I know when I saw it, I had the aha moment of like, oh, this is how you tell stories in 360. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just, just starting to see that, I don't know, the, the fundamental thing about immersive is that it, acknowledges the fundamental difference between film and television and live, which Mm -hmm. is it's live. You're there. There are things you cannot do with a TV screen or a movie that you can do with a live person. So why not lean towards that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing that it does, um, it sort of harnesses the user driven aspect of like new forms of digital entertainment, um, video games, uh, social media, these forms of entertainment that are really like self-curated and about connecting, but on a sort of self-driven level. Mm. So I feel like immersive productions that allow audiences to decide where they're going to stand and where they're going to look and how they're going to respond sort of taps into this participatory culture that we're moving towards in the entertainment world. I've seen two pieces of your work now, uh, one which you're about to remount uh, when we're recording this, which is I Love You So Much, Squeeze Me to Death. Uh, and I want to talk about that because it, to, to me it felt like it was a sort of deconstructed uh, you know, a traditional 
dance performance um, and and brought in elements from the immersive world without it be going into full audience agency. And so thus you were able to, you know, kind of serve a, a full audience, right? Which mm-hmm. oftentimes in immersive is on the theater side. That's a big problem. It's like, how are we going to, you know, serve more than 17 people at a time without yeah. the whole structure breaking down without having five stories of a warehouse in Chelsea to play in, right? Like, right. got enough resources. <laughs> you can do anything. You can do anything. <laughs> By the way, if anyone has any five-story warehouses anywhere yeah, in the country, know. you know, like, because I'm sure if someone does by now, like, they would have told us, you better. Um, and then uh, also casting, which uh, you did for the 48-hour film festival, mm-hmm. which, which I felt like, like moved moved into a more participatory mode. So yeah. um, tell us a little bit about the the I love you so much, squeeze me to death, and and how you came to the elements of that show. Maybe like set set up what that show is for folks. Sure. Oh, that's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> so I love you so much, squeeze me to death. Follows a format that I discovered while I was in grad school. Um, And it's a format that uses elements of immersive theater uh, and elements of staged choreographed pieces that also have some immersive elements in them, but they're much more structured. Um, So in the piece, you have these moments that are a little bit more of a free-for-all where the movement is structured improv And there's a lot of space for the audience to explore the space, interact with the dancers, interact with the set pieces, interact with the um, sound and video design. And then it sort of flows into these choreographed moments, which are choreographed. (laughs) And then within those choreographies, there are moments to pull one or two audience members in and give them a relationship with the dancer. Yeah. and it sort of flows in and out of that format. Well, and, th- and those moments I thought were really interesting because in some there were there was opportunities to mirror what the dancer was doing and some people were just getting down. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, uh, at least in, in the one that I saw. And then others there was there was something there was one particular sequence where the audience member was seated but the performer it was it was this there was this, this, this whole thing about longing and trying to like draw and like someone, someone performing in a way that just like felt like they were putting everything about themselves out for the other person to see and trying and, and just, just projecting this like need onto the other person. And I've, I've become really cognizant of late that, that the thing that makes a good one-on-one immersive scene work is when the actor, the performer, needs something from that mm-hmm. audience member. Usually needs something emotionally from that audience yeah. member um, that isn't just look at me. Mm-hmm. But in this case, deep down underneath all of it is look, look at, at me. me yeah. Right. And so, and it was just, it was exteriorized, and it was just fascinating to watch because you saw someone just doing the thing. They were mm-hmm. performing. Look at me. Yeah. And and us being able to see that happen, like it just created these levels of, of, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. So this piece is about codependence and about the sort of need to fulfill a relationship. I think a lot of people tend to read this uh, performance as codependence within a romantic relationship. Um, When I conceived of the piece that wasn't sort of the initial conceit but because the cast is three female dancers um because it sort of inhabits a 1950s early 1960s housewife aesthetic it's gravitated in that direction um but ultimately the relationship between the performers and every single member of the audience is anytime you're connecting with an audience member you are so desperate to fulfill some kind of relationship with Mm. them like you, you want to be the perfect wife, the perfect daughter, the perfect, um, I don't know, whatever your career is, the perfect person in that career, the perfect dancer. And I mean, that was another level that sort of emerged to us as we were creating the piece was that um, 
this idea of codependence is so lodged in the performance world where it's like performances are codependent on audiences. Um, and so uh, the moment you were referencing when Brittany's uh, gesturing towards this audience member and there's this like need to sort of connect and like, am I doing this right? Is this hitting those beats for you? It works on the level of her as an individual and the audience member as someone in a relationship to her. But it also works on this level of her as a performer um, and that individual as an audience member and as a sort of like figure representing all of the audience members in the space. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I, I love moments when, you know, there's, there's those multiple layers happening for the performers and then that kind of like crosses over the transom to the audience and there starts to become these multiple levels for us. Right. You just, the, 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 there's almost like we're, when performance works for me uh, on the, in that way, it's almost like we're diagramming reality, you know, like we're, we're laying it all bare and it's happening and we're seeing it at the same time. Like we're conscious of what's going on, but it's also occurring. There's almost mm-hmm. like, there's almost like Brechting in, you know, liminal space. Um, talk a bit about, about your process. Cause you brought, you brought notes to make sure you got your, <laughs> you mentioned that as chart, but like, cause, because like, I think talking about the process of, of creating this piece and, and cause you've, there's a, an amazing sound design inside this piece that is reflecting back what's going on on the stage. So there's this looping reflection and there's, there's all these, there's textual elements, there's all this stuff going on. So, you know, we, we used to would talk about, you know, we, we might, you know, if it was 10, 15 years ago, we might be talking about this as, oh, this is a multimedia piece. Or mm-hmm. This is like, you know, like a mm-hmm. multidisciplinary piece, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And now in, in so many ways, you know, I like that, you know, by putting in the, the participatory elements, we get to talk about it as an immersive piece, but it that also manages to get immersive to contain those el- other elements, the way opera is just work. Right. And like brings it all. So, so how do you start? You start with this idea and then you start bringing people in and, and how does it mutate? Yeah. So it, I generally start, uh, with one dancer or by myself in the studio, uh, for this particular, particular project. Um, I was working with Brittany Tran for a long time before it sort of materialized as a evening length work. We were working on some short pieces, uh, short solos that turned into a duet, Um, and I was using 80s ballads. (laughs) I was literally just going into the studio and like blasting 80s ballads. Like what? Like, Um, let's get a playlist going on here. So, uh, there's a song by Heart, uh, the Bee Gees, How Deep Is Your Love For Me, um... Ario Speedwagon, like really heartfelt, just like lay it all bare on the table, uh, sort of hokey ballads. Um, and I started to, to play with this idea of codependence, not as it exists between two people choreographically, but as it sort of like, as you sort of like live with it as a person, mm-hmm. like what does it do to you as a person mm-hmm. to completely have a sense of identity built off a relationship? Um, like what does that do to your sense of self? And so we started to build a vocabulary and then I started to think about it in terms of like, well, how could this become an evening length piece? And so I started to think about uh, these three solos that are sort of the centerpiece of this work. So then I went into casting those three solos. Um, so at Highways, I had Jesse Nemec and Robin O'Dell dancing them uh, and Brittany Tran. And Robin and Brittany are coming back at the bootleg. Unfortunately, Jesse was not able to. So we have Jamima Chong coming in to do her solo. Um, so I cast the dancers. And then it was a matter of reaching out to collaborators that I've worked with in the past. So Alex Lowe is a sound designer. Uh, he worked on my thesis concert at UCI. And he is an incredible sound artist who creates instruments that engage with physical performance. Yeah. And there's for, to kind of get people a sense of what the effect was, there were mics. Uh, I think they, they were hanging, right? We had hanging mics and we had contact mics. Yeah. And so there was, 
if there were textual elements that were said, those could get looped back. But also when a dancer's, you know, if there might have been a stomp or a slap and things were being fed back through and that was mm-hmm. being mixed in real time to create these kind of echoes and reverberations. And it, it made the room feel like it was breathing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, another thing that never happens as much as we kind of like hope is is the idea of like we kind of love the ideas of like audience sort of like you go to a show and you maybe whisper to someone something Mm. and that getting looped in and picked up too but um we're still looking looking for it but it never happens well we're we're still in this world where audiences are are still so trained to like just watch and be quiet and there is a a character There's, there's there's this you know er housewife character who starts the show and and gives Mm. a speech and does engage with audience members in a whisper conversation. So like you are trying to like seed that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that performer, Chris Tyler, um, he's, he's an incredible performer and that character sort of developed. I, I actually read, um, an article, I think, I think you wrote it in no proscenium or, um, name the article. I'll probably be able to tell you. It was about consent. Oh, there were a couple. Yeah. So, I mean, there might've been, it might have been Leia. There might have been something. There might have been something. Leia. There might might have been Aaron Vanek wrote something. There was a really long kind of like. Uh, uh, if it was structured and long, that was Aaron Vanek. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was uh, medium length and uh, seat of your pants, it was probably me. Okay, <laughs> that's how you know the difference. Got it. Like, got it. I mean, another one was um, Aaron's had. Um, there was a lot about um, oh god I there's 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 a there's a phrase um, not not about in just about informed but a lot of talking about informed consent mm-hmm. um, I think we we also did a um, we did a podcast uh, with uh, Liz Powell mm-hmm. uh, that was that was a, a, a lot of okay. those topics so I mean it's something we it's something we come back to a lot yeah so yeah so I had read that article and it was right around the time uh, that article about Sleep No More and the cast of Sleep No More experiencing unwanted physical contact mm. um, and there was a few articles that popped up around that time about consent in immersive theater. Um, and so it got me thinking about, as I was putting this piece together, it was just something that was on my brain. And the idea of a sort of host character uh, came to me. And and so at first it was just this very utilitarian role that was like, how do we explain to the audience that they're a part of this and that they can be a part of it and that they're going to be touched? And then the, then there was a question of like, okay, but like, what if someone really doesn't want that? And so mm. that's why we had the lays where like, you could just put a lay on and then the dancers knew that you were not someone comfortable with that. That's actually, that reminds me, I, there's something I should tell somebody. Cause like there was a, I was at a rehearsal for something the other night and they were, and I won't say what show, and they were talking about uh, just like how to, how to signal, like if people mm-hmm. don't want mm-hmm. to be. Um, and they were they were thinking of like oh well like someone can tag themselves in the beginning and someone raised the point like well look like I might I might want to like I might get in and then be like oh no I'm gonna be fine with yeah this. and then they can take the layoff yeah or whatever it and, is and yeah the way you handled it which which was like they're always there yeah and it's like if you at any point you could be like no I'm opting out now yeah right yeah but, absolutely and we also yeah. offer you know minimal seating in the space because yeah. there's always gonna be people who like maybe you've just had a long day at work and you want to sit down yeah. Or, you know, like people who are maybe injured or disabled. Like we, we, we talked a lot about how to make, make it clear that there were options to signal consent. Right. Um, and then, you know, we had this sort of utilitarian view of this character. And then it was like, okay, well, that's not enough. Like, how do we actually bring it into the world of the show? Um, and it gave me the opportunity to use one of my favorite collaborators who also happens to be my husband, Sam Alper, who's a, a writer, screenwriter, um, playwright, and poet, um, and does an amazing job of writing text that is poetic and visceral, um, but also very relatable. Mm. There's a lot of imagery in it that is very current, uh, a lot of like direct address in it. 
Um, and he just does a great job of creating text that really gets at what something is about without, you know, going out and saying it. Yeah. So in that introduction, it sort of goes between this character saying like, this is how the show operates. These are your options within the world of the show. And then also being like in a much more coded poetic way talking about this is what the show is about. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's this, this grand threading in those, in those monologues. And, mm-hmm. um, I, it's funny. Like I, I, you know, I, I, I sometimes I'll look through a program and like, cool. And then like put it away. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have, guess that a guy wrote that stuff yeah so yeah like that's that's impressive yeah so we had a lot of conversations about what the monologue was uh and what it meant both sam and i and chris and sam talked a lot about it um but yeah no those are uh, he wrote it (laughs) fantastic um so and then you start you start pulling everybody together so Mm -hmm. how does how does at what point, how long, how long did you rehearse that, that piece? And that was a workshop production ahead of the, ahead of the, uh, the bootleg run. But. Yeah. So it sort of happened in stages. Uh, Brittany and I had been working together for maybe about nine months by the time the highway show came up. Jesse came on about four months in. So Brittany and I had been working together, really focused almost entirely on the uh, movement language. Um, and then sort of in tandem to that, I was creating the, the video interactive elements because I, I program all of that myself. And uh, Jesse came on about four months in. And Robin was actually, uh, relatively speaking, late to the process. She came in about... Uh, two and a half or maybe three months before the show. Mm. Um, So that was a sort of staggered process of bringing the dancers together. Um, Alex, I reached out to probably seven months or so. And, you know, we sort of worked together just talking through what I envisioned um, and him building things, me coming in and looking at them, calibrating things together. Uh, then the score, I reached out to Jonah Rosenberg, who's actually based in New York. Um, and he and I collaborated on a piece together years ago that we did at the Montreal Fringe called Tripod. And so I reached out to him and sort of gave him the guidelines of what I was looking for. I actually gave him three ballads that I was like, these are, this is what I've been choreographing too. <laughs> I don't want to cover. <laughs> Go. <laughs> and luckily, he's the kind of composer who within those sort of like odd restrictions was like, great, I can like run with this and do something incredibly creative. Um, And, you know, Sam's always kind of on the back burner for me. So I can always just kind of be like, hey, we need text. Let's go. (laughs) Maybe I've only got two weeks. You gave everyone else months. Like, yes, but I don't see them every day. Right, right. Also, they're not married to me. Exactly. Yeah, and Chris, I reached out to, I would say, maybe six months or so. And it was a it was a slow dialogue of, like, this is something I'm thinking of. Would you be interested in? And then a sort of slow dialogue of us just meeting and looking at different, um, you know, different movies and texts and just sort of spitballing, like, what this character is, what role it serves. Chris is um, a community organizer as well, and does a lot of work relating to the sort of politics of performance, what performance Mm. can do, but also um, who gets to perform, who gets to to speak, um, and within performances, how sort of fair and issues of consent and, you know, issues of like, what is this performance saying and where are we staging it and why? Um, so he was really the perfect collaborator to create this role in that sense. Chris, I hope I'm not, uh, misrepresenting any of that. (laughs) You, the process you got there compared to what I know that a lot of the immersive theater folks do sounds absolutely luxurious because like months and months of, of developing, cooking it slow, bringing the pieces together. 
the Flash Festival is the exact opposite. Yeah. So 48 hours from scratch to mm-hmm. make a piece and still something I think about, right? I'm glad to hear that. Because, um, so for that piece, casting, so it was part of the Immersive Invitational, which uh, probably, this will probably go out the week we're recording it. So just last week we were talking to Graham Wetterhahn. Uh-huh. Um, so after hours theater put together, pulled together the last, you know, like in a short period of time, uh, four groups of uh, artists and they were given a prompt and uh, a prompt, a prop, like a line and a space. And then uh-huh. 48 hours to throw something together. And y'all made this, uh, riff on a casting session mm-hmm. that was surreal and very participatory. Mm-hmm. Like um, we, we as the as the audience were the ones being you know assessed for casting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, how how did you guys, given your normal processes, you know, yeah. you know stretched out? How'd you wind up with what you got? Like, what, what was what was what was that like? What was that like for you? It's basically it's a very <laughs> long way of saying. So we put you through a ringer. How'd yeah. that go? Drink from iced tea glasses. <laughs> <laughs> it was an incredible experience. I mean, I uh, I pulled together an incredible team. I had Alex Lowe working on the project again. I had Morgan Embry who also works on "I Love You So Much," "Squeeze Me to Death." She's a lighting designer. Um, She also works a lot with projection and interactive lighting design. Um, She also ended up doing puppetry in this show. (laughs) Yeah, because you guys were given a snake puppet. Yes, yes. And you used it. We did. Like you did not not back away from it. You you put that one front and center. Yeah. It was so hard not to just start cracking up trying to like, <laughs> cause the, the, they had cast the snake as the actor you were going to be acting opposite, but who was Skyping in from France. And Gerard. Gerard. Yes. yes. Um, you should give him his due. I should, I should. We, we've got to thank the, uh, yeah. oh, Gerard's name is on the card. No. Um, <laughs> and I mean, you, you find yourself wanting to take, the scenario seriously mm-hmm. like that's that's part of the fun of playing along with it is because if you're in an absurdist world you know that the more you you lean into like we're gonna take this seriously the weirder it's gonna feel and the funnier it's gonna be on the inside if yeah. you're playing along so you're you're sitting there and you're like acting like you're honored to out, act opposite a puppet that's yeah. on skype yeah yeah and so morgan uh did the puppetry for Gerard. Uh, Sam was doing text and spoken word. Um, I got to work with a new collaborator, Hannah Davenport. She was the vocalist, um, beautiful voice, incredible performer. And then I actually performed in this, which I, I try not to do these days when I can help it. But uh, it was me, Sammy Flores, and Samantha Scheller. And so I had this incredible team to pull from. And so right away, uh, bringing everyone in on the Friday, I was very uh, clear with myself that, you know, you're bringing all these people in, you're going to use them. I, I, I was very clear with myself that I wanted to listen to everything that was that was sort of coming out. It was like a, a brainstorm, like, okay, uh, we've, I think our prompt was risk. Yes. The line was it's time. Yeah. <laughs> we, had, we got one of, uh, I think, the easier spaces to use because it was sort of a functional theater space, a functional black box space. Um, But but then we had this crazy prop. (laughs) Yeah, you had the crazy prop. And also, like, it was definitely, it was the biggest standalone space Mm -hmm. uh, because the other big big theater space was divided in two. uh, But they played in rep. Yeah. Um, And, but at the same time, because you had a traditional theater space, like, there's almost that, there's the danger of, filling into it right so and you guys blocked off the seats like it's like you know you contained us on the stage which was that even so where did the idea come from the space or did the idea come from you know know, i i was actually over the last couple days i've been trying to sort of like pin down that evolution because i sort of anticipated we would talk about it and it's really hard for me to pinpoint like what came first i mean I think I think it might have been Sam who pitched the idea of a casting call and doing something kind of meta and very LA. Yeah. Because it's like so many of the people who come out to LA 
came out to be in the quote unquote business. Um, and so have experienced a casting call and the sort of like unpleasantness and like dehumanization of that experience. And then, um, we started talking about like, well, what, what are experiences in life that are kind of like an audition? Mm. Um, and it, we just sort of started to talk about an audition as a metaphor for these moments in your life where like you get a, a chance to make a choice. Oh, wow. Chance to make a choice, uh, you know, in response to someone in reaction to something um, where it's like, maybe you've fallen into this habit of always responding to requests with like, yeah, I'll do that. And then like one day you're like, well, maybe I say no this time. And like, you know, how it kind of constructs our identity. Um, and so that was really the big shift within the piece where it's like, it starts where it's like a casting call and you're sort of being asked to move around the room. And then it shifts into this more participatory duet with the dancers in the space. And yeah. it's more about like, well, this is really all just an, an interaction and a collaboration. And like, this is really like your life. You know, there was something amazing about, I love the fact that you said like you were going to use everybody because y'all were standing there on like, you know, Apple boxes, the equivalent of, uh, for the entire time that we were being, you know, going through the paces of the audition. And then when that shift happened, but it was like, it, it, it was so long that at a certain point you're wondering like, Oh, are they just going to stand there forever? Mm -hmm. It's like, is that, are they just props? And then when you did come alive and the mode we moved into, mm -hmm. um, th there's something about like the, the form you work in feels like a collage, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, collage and montage, uh, that somehow, slips between the different mediums that you're that yeah. you're employing in order to examine the theme from different angles yeah i mean i think that's a really apt way to describe the kind of work i make um when i uh did my master's research um i really i focused on immersive theater and what it can do for dance and there were two, well, there are a lot of big lessons I took away from it, but um, two things that really stuck with me and that I try to remember as I'm making work is one, that in the sort of latter half of the 20th and 21st century, as theater and performance art and installation art and sort of feminist theater practices all sort of started to coalesce and have sort of become what we call immersive theater now, there's also been a shift in how we talk about understanding theater from a semantic approach, which is very much about like reading uh, symbols and mm. listening to the text and interpreting the text. So you have the art object and you have the participant, or not the participant, sorry, the audience member who's reading the art object. Um, so we've shifted from that to more experiential and self-referential forms of understanding. And so I'm much more interested in what the audience gets out of the piece than the sort of what I intended to mm. say with the piece. And so I think that lends itself to these sort of montage, pastiche, um, collage worlds that end up evolving so then do you feel like you're asking a question and not making a statement with the work i mean i think i think as an artist you end up making a statement you feel like you've made a statement mm. i feel like i've made a statement but like i don't know if you got that statement and it doesn't really matter if you did um because we've lived different experiences in our lives and i think by putting my statement in a form like dance uh, and movement and participatory movement exercises, however you want to describe that, um, you know, it's not literal. There's room for interpretation. Yeah. And I think that's sort of, this practice has allowed me to understand the sort of value behind the art I make. I went through like a period in my early 20s where I was like, why am I making art? Like, what is this doing for the world? 
Um, and I read, this is, this is very cliche, but I read a, a Brene Brown book, The Gifts of Imperfection. And in it, she talks about the role of art in our culture and how it's really you know, just a sort of reminder that like we're not alone in the world and that these are shared experiences. Um, and so as an artist putting out a statement and then the audience coming into that statement and playing with it and developing their own understanding of it, like that to me is a really beautiful exchange and conversation. Yeah, it's it, it's the thesis antithesis synthesis. Yeah, right? exactly, yeah, it's, it's, exactly. It's a, it's a it's a it's a dialogue, and, and yeah, I mean it's it, so many. I mean, we we tend to think because of that textual thing, like it's almost like we're trained to think, oh, this is what the artist intended. This is what what the statement is. You either get it or you don't. It's either yeah. right or it's mm-hmm. wrong. Maybe some people fall in love with the ideas. Uh, I was having a conversation with my housemate earlier about like mm-hmm. ideas versus execution. And mm-hmm. yet even beyond that step is, you know, th- what's being take, taken away mm-hmm. is, 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 well, <laughs> that's whatever's being taken away, whether intended or not, that's the thing that's actually going to have the impact on the world. That, yeah. Um, when, when I think about, um, I was having a conversation last night and, and uh, when I think about the role of art, you know, art is about shifting the possibility and probability space, right? Mm. Like mm. you're, it, it's about shifting what people are able to conceive of as mm-hmm. possible or true mm-hmm. or where they can, what actions they can take. What's exciting about a, a work that is in dialogue with a traditional form like, you know, a dance performance bringing in these participatory elements is that it's taking an audience that that may not be expecting from gaming uh, to to run around and do things and seeing like oh I I can have a role in this I do have a role in this mm-hmm. oh I always had a role in this yeah like I never wasn't integral yeah. to what was going on yeah. how does that apply to life as a whole yeah right yeah. and and you know politically we're in this moment where we all deeply question our agency in this society because yeah. things are completely off the rails and it seems like no one can do anything. And yet we're also fully cognizant of, but we do have like the, the compact is whether or not, you know, we, we accept the way things are or we, right. we push back against the world. Right. Um, and so for me, that's, that's the why mm-hmm. of, of staying in this yeah. Particularly, particularly when things feel like the world's gone off the rails and like, yeah. you know, why, why are we fucking talking about art? Sorry to swear. <laughs> oh, got to put the explicit tag on. Like why, why the hell are we, you yeah. know, doing this? Because, but it, it gets down to what we, what we're doing, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and without the art, without the artist play, without the artist practice, then we, we can't take those other steps. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you use the term play there because, um, that's another beautiful thing that immersive work uh brings to the table Mm. is play yeah um i was listening to your guys live stream one of your live streams recently you were talking about selfie museums and oh that was this past week yeah 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 and there's a there's a lot of um you know criticisms about selfie museums out there but one thing you brought up is you were like they are kind of bringing this space of play um that feels very absent right now um, in public spaces. Um, so yeah, that's just another thing that I like about this medium I've chosen to work in. Yeah. Well, and then I think I, I found the stream out. I think I wound up getting a point or maybe I was just thinking of like w- whenever we talk about like, what would we call these things? What do you call immersives and whatnot? And at the end of the day, I'm like, I look forward to when we just call them plays, mm-hmm. but they, but with that extra connotation of like, it's not just a play you watch, it's a play you play. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, damn. <laughs> that's how you describe an immersive. Crap. <laughs> only taken almost six years to come up with that. Yeah, there yeah. we go. There we go. So what is this thing? It's not a play you pl- watch. It's a play you play. There we go. Done. <laughs> Done. Take that. Print it. Done. Beautiful. Shutting out the record. No. Uh, <laughs> hit apotheosis. Um, where you've got this evening length piece, you're bringing it back to the bootleg, mm-hmm. um, which I'm very excited that people, more people will get to explore it it's really great um 
where where do you want to go from here? Like you started off on this quest by seeing Sleep No More. Is, do you aspire to something like that massive or do you aspire to kind of work in, in the zone you're in right now? That's a really great, great question. And uh, it's kind of one I'm, I'm wrestling with right now. Um, so I don't, I don't have a company, um, which is more than anything else uh, because I just don't have the resources right now to create the infrastructure for a company. Um, I would love to continue working in this vein and to push into something bigger. One thing me and uh, Alex and Sam have been talking about is um, in the concert I did in grad school, Keepsake, there was a section that was a, so the whole, the whole piece is about nostalgia and it sort of takes you through childhood to early adulthood um, and sort of hits some of the growing pains and quote unquote iconic cultural moments along that journey. And there's this whole section that's a prom section and it, it, I have like this weird attachment to prom where I just think it's like cute and funny and silly. And it's like, it's not like I had a particularly wonderful or horrible prom, but I'm just like, prom is hilarious and wonderful and silly. And so we've been talking about like, wouldn't it be amazing uh, to do a large scale immersive prom? Oh yeah. I, um, it's, it's, people haven't tackled it and it's always attempting. Mm-hmm. I've seen people do class reunions. Mm-hmm. I I want someone to do prom uh, for the simple reason. I never went to prom. I didn't go mm-hmm. to prom. I didn't mm-hmm. go to ball. Um, uh, none of those dances. Uh, and uh, I, I would love, I would love to see that. Yeah. So know. that's something that we're, we're tossing around with Morgan's also been in on that conversation. Um, and to like really do it and do it in like a high school auditorium and have like a live band and have these choreographed elements, but also, you know, like in proms, you have these photo booths and using the sort of immersive video elements that I use in my work, but having it be this sort of contained photo booth area that you get to interact with, but also like you come, you bring your date, you dance, like it's... It's prom. Yeah. And it's, it's like really maybe prom. you go to the bathroom and there's a performer who's like bawling her eyes out running mascara and there's like something going on in there. Like we've been talking about the idea of having a limo that a perform a small vignette happens in and it's like you can queue up to go in the limo and drive around the parking lot and experience this little there, there's people I know who like have a have a limo based show that is oh. about that that's uh, actually about like a wedding party thing, but like oh, fun. you should like go talk to them and like they because yeah. like they're definitely working in limos. Yes. Other than that, <laughs> I mean, which is actually there's a, there's, a, there's a particular skill to that I was about to say well, not that there's a particular skill. I was like no 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 there's a particular <laughs> skill to that. Um, oh that sounds that sounds that sounds peachy keen, you know. Yeah, but- <laughs> so that's the sort of like aspirational where we'd like to go with it in order to make something like that happen. Um, some pretty big things funding wise would have to happen. Yeah. Um, on a smaller scale, uh, I'm starting to think about remounting casting. Um, and doing a sort of like one or two week run of it. Um, oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, we'd love to do that. It's a it's a question of like, you know, because it's such an intimate experience, you can really only have max eight to six is really the sweet spot for that show. Yeah. Um, so you have to run it multiple times in a night, and then it would be a matter of like, well, to make it an experience worthwhile like what other elements can we bring in what else could you say do as you're waiting to go in as you leave like a lot of immersive shows these days are have um you know drinks or food or you know well sometimes i think people err too much on the side of trying to have the thing be the whole evening Mm. i think sometimes it's you know if you're in if you're in the right spot yeah and people can spill out you know and go do things on their own um i think Throughput throughput's always an issue because throughput means whether yeah. or not something viable. And that formula of how many people for how much time yeah. and how much rest time do you have? It's so like how many how many can we get through a night? So then what do we gotta charge? Right. And then I think 
all too often I feel like people err on the side of like, well, let's give them a drink, let's give them food, right? You know, and then suddenly you're tacking on these expenses right. that maybe you you shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, there is you get a little cordial at then she fell, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. they say like everything you're gonna eat is vegan and everything mm-hmm. you're gonna drink has alcohol in it, mm-hmm. uh, except for the tea, right? Um, and, but I gotta say, you know, like the only thing I feel that is absolutely required in that show is the tea. Yeah. Like, I didn't need the finger sandwich, and, like, the cordial was... Sorry. (laughs) There was one criticism of sleep of Then She Fell. Uh, The cordial, it's all right. You know? (laughs) (laughs) That's not too bad a criticism. Yeah. When they they did... they had they had a functioning bar at the Grand yeah. Paradise that you could actually buy drinks in the middle yeah. of the show in and like that those were good. Um, yeah. Well, that's another thought um, I've had is just trying to find a, a bar to stage it in, like a bar with a back room sort of thing. Yeah. Um, that I feel like that could be a nice sort of like medium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I'm trying to think. Like, I don't. Know. We'll talk. We'll talk. Well, there's, yeah. there's some. Yeah. There's some. Actually, a couple of places just came to mind. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, actually, a, cu- a couple of things come to mind. So when, when this recorder goes off, the scheming Stay begins. Stay tuned. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't don't be surprised. Like I want these things to come to pass. So uh, <laughs> dedicating my brain to making it happen. Um, that's that's ex- that's just exciting. Like, Thank you. I, like I'm and I'm I'm glad to see that you're. How do I say this in a way that's like not like patting? I, I don't mean to pat myself on the back here. I'm just I'm glad to see folks engaging with the the larger dialogue around the work as they make the work themselves. Yeah. Right. Like whether it's whether it's you know like articles anywhere or issues that are coming up in other people's shows or or the the work that other people are doing and, and bringing that into your own process like that's yeah. that's really exciting to see that that's what's happening like i'm getting a, like that there's a generation of creators that are coming up who have uh who've who've their practice have been sparked by the first wave of the renaissance and now they're in dialogue with what's mm-hmm. been happening between now and then only means that this thing is going to accelerate and and need yeah. to yeah, I hope so. I mean, I think part of it, too, is um, when you tell people that you make immersive work, uh, people either get really excited about it or they get very suspicious of it, mm. where um, it's become such a buzzword now oh that, um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of times where well, people either respond in this sense of like, okay, like, what does immersive even mean? Like, do you know what you're saying? And then it's like, luckily... um, It's a play you play. Yeah, it's a play you play. (laughs) Have you not listened to the podcast? We just came up with that 10 minutes ago. Why don't Um, you know this already? Um, Yeah, but my my practice is informed by a a pretty substantial body of research that I had the opportunity to to develop when I was in grad school. Um, So... I feel personally like I am very lucky to have that behind my work. Um, Yeah. And so I'm able to sort of like respond to that suspicion and sort of like, I don't even know what the word is, but uh, I feel like I have an informed immersive practice at this point, which I'm very proud of. Um, And when I'm talking to other immersive creators, like everyone that was part of the LA Immersive Invitational, I agree with what you're saying. Like, I'm very excited to see this generation of immersive creators who are very informed and and are coming from like an understanding of like, well, this is the kind of immersive experience we're giving you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to hold us there. If folks want to connect with you, how do they go about doing that? Um, you can reach me on Instagram at Corinne Wicks, K-O-R-Y-N-W-I-C-K-S. My website is CorinneWicks.com. Um, you can come see us at the bootleg in October. Check out the bootleg theater's website for tickets. And then we've also just launched a fundraising campaign for our show at the bootleg. So, uh, if you've seen our work and you want to donate, if you enjoyed this conversation and you want to support, 
Um, you can donate to the campaign. There's a link to it on my website. You can also reach it at bit.ly backslash support underscore immersive underscore LA. So, yeah. All right. And we'll have all that in the show notes for everyone. Corinne, this was so good. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. This was such a, such a joy. What a great way to start a Saturday morning. Once again, I want to thank our guest, Corinne Ann Wicks, for being on the show today. And indeed, you can find the links to her work and her in the show notes. Um, hey, I promised you some uh, rants on the back end. Um, two things I want to talk to you guys about today. Uh, first off, um, there's some news coming out uh, that uh, Daiquiri, um, not not the drink, but the company, uh, the augmented reality company. It's been around for quite some time. Uh, that they are they're shuttering. Um, there's uh, this is a, there's a piece on TechCrunch. It'll probably be in. Uh, it'll, I'll put it in the show notes, and uh, it'll be on everything rest of this week. Uh, th- this is this is a, not a small deal. Uh, they've been around for quite some time. Uh, they've been making some headway in uh, you know, wearables, uh, doing a lot of stuff on the enterprise side when it comes to augmented reality, and so there's this little kind of reverberation through uh, because there's been a lot of augmented reality um, uh, companies that have been uh, closing up shop. Uh, kind of the way that the VR companies closed up shop, particularly a lot of folks who are doing hardware manufacturing. And so naturally, of course, uh, people want to start declaring it all dead. It's dead. It's dead. Apple didn't come out with their glasses and daiquiris closed. It's over. Um, I'm going to say something. Uh, capital's not smart. Um, <laughs> capital's, capital is no smarter than an average person. Uh, it, uh, it doesn't have vision. It, it's, um, it's like an amoeba. It responds to stimulus. Um, and there's excitement and there's uh, depression, uh, there's sugar and there's alcohol and there's pain and there's fear and, um, capital responds to all these things the way, uh, an unintelligent animal would, um, not that other systems are necessarily all that much better, but uh, look, um, changing over from one way of existence to another way of existence isn't exactly a linear path, all right? Um, the difference between this era of technolo- technological innovation uh, and previous eras is that a hell of a lot more people have their eyes on it, the innovations, uh, than did in the past. There's also a, a whole lot of things that could happen or go wrong, uh, far beyond, uh, the, the market or the technical stuff. Um, there's this little thing called the environment that's, uh, kind of, uh, collapsing for us. Uh, and there's all the, the political upheavals around the world. So uh, there's there's a really good chance that we won't get to an immersive tech future uh, and that will have maybe nothing to do with the viability of the tech, external forces, or indeed um, capital being too impatient uh, to see some dividends. The other side of it, though, is that capital has accumulated around some really, 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 really big companies uh, who are in this space. Um, and you still got Magic Leap going. You know, Facebook's got Oculus, which definitely has some cards to play in the augmented reality space as well, in the mixed reality space. Microsoft is still involved. Uh, Google um, have been putting money into Magic Leap, but you got to imagine somewhere there's something going on. And indeed, Apple appears to still be working on it. And look how long it took them just to get their television shows out. Yeesh. Um, That's something people already know how to make. (laughs) Um, But I kind of do want the new phone, though, because I want three cameras. Um, Look, uh, I'm I've I've never been fully bullish on augmented reality, mostly because I'm always like, well, but what's really the use case? Um, What 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 can be done uh, that can't be done with something else? Uh, that's kind of less intrusive or doesn't require me to wear a headset all the time. 
that being said, that's that just means that the things we don't know, um, the things we haven't imagined yet, that's the stuff that's that's possible, and that's the stuff that's interesting. So uh, I don't think anyone should be running around and saying that AR is dead uh, because one of the, the stalwart companies that is that is a moderately sized company um, wasn't able to make it another year. Um, not when there's so much in terms of resources being thrown at this space by companies that have way more resources. I think if anything, you know, the Valley uh, and Wall Street should be looking at, you know, how they're financing things and why they're only willing to make bets on really large companies and what that does for innovation. Um, and just the way our economy is structured right now and how it is difficult for a smaller company, uh, a team of innovators to um, hold out and hold the line uh, because of legacy corporations who just eat up all the oxygen. I worry more about patents going to die inside Alphabet's grand library uh, than I do about... Um, whether or not the technical innovations can be made uh, that are going to make VR and AR ubiquitous. I'm far, far more concerned with things just being shelved because they couldn't make money fast enough for the people who want to see the stock price go up, um, which is why there's more effort put into finding ways to trick us into clicking on ads than there are in uh, truly changing for the better the way we communicate. All right, that's that rant. Um, I want to tell you guys about a wonderful show I saw last night. Uh, that would be Bedroom Play 2 uh, by Kate Lane and uh, Elizabeth O. Elizabeth, <laughs> I do not have your name in front of me, so I am sorry. Uh, I, I don't want to butcher it. Um, this is a follow-up to Kate's Bedroom Play. Um, and we kind of get back into that same kind of liminal, poetic, magic realism world uh, this is a, a piece for one uh, this is this is the art at its artiest um, just just a lovely experience um, different in tenor and tone in in some ways than the original bedroom play but but firmly in that space of playing with each other um, uh, a play that you play as it were. And I'm, I'm just really glad to see it existing and that it's such, it's such a kind of pure expression of the artists. Um, you know, uh, Kate, uh, is, is a, is a, is a very unique voice. Uh, and Elizabeth shares some resonances there and together they've really sort of kind of opened up this portal to um, an, an alternate universe, if you will, uh, but, a, but a universe that feels so familiar to me. They, 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 they speak my own idiom, um, and, and maybe I'm overly attached to the work because of that, because I, I can see so much of um, sort of the, the secret language of my own soul reflected in the piece. That being said, um, I, I am so glad to see uh, artists really managing to express themselves fully in an interactive form. Um, I think that's something that I'm seeing missing from uh, from the work right now. Um, and I, I know there are some corners where where it might be happening uh, and and in ways that are are toxic. Um, and so I, I don't want to I don't want to see that. Um, but in this quest to make it all sustainable. And this quest to commercialize it, um, which are, you know, necessary quests and indeed going to do some serious talking next week about what can be done about about some of that stuff, because we want to see this work sustain. Um, you know, we, we risk we risk um, losing the voice um, and, and specifically we risk losing uh, a degree of vulnerability to the voice because the voice of immersive isn't just a speaker. It's a listener. It is a dialogue, um, and when 
you know, there's pieces I've seen of late that uh, have the outward forms of interactivity, but are not truly interactive, um, and that have uh, that that try to speak in a uh, in a in a in a universal language, and yet um, don't don't make room to listen, um, and that's a shame because uh, that's the work, what the work should be, and. My blood sugar is dropping, so I'm not being as coherent as I kind of want to be. And also, I I don't feel like I don't feel like dragging anyone right now because it's not that. Um, and indeed, there's there's probably going to be some critical pieces out coming soon, um, where I you know I, I I see the intent, I see the effort, and I see something's being done really well, uh, but it's not coming together, uh, and I think it's not coming together because of um, of a little bit of it is not finding ways to listen and not building structures that let the piece listen and let the piece get into dialogue. Um, and a little bit of, you know, not, not seeking one's own voice as much as, as one could. Um, and that's a weird thing, right? Like we think, we, we, we don't necessarily think of immersive um, as having a strong voice necessarily because of the listening thing. Um, I, I know I often, uh, kind of question that and whether or not, you know, the role of the, the artist as auteur or the artist as uh, as poet, as, as, as a major voice, um, kind of has to like fade into the background because of this need to listen. But what's interesting is the dialogue. What's interesting is when there's space made for the audience and the creator, the performer, to start talking um, and, and find a common tongue, find a language that they can share. Um, and that's definitely what my experience at Bedroom Play 2 was last night. Um, and uh, indeed, you know, n- not everyone will will have the same uh, experience. Again, they, they really speak my idiom, but um, it's really, really good to be reminded that um, that's a thing that happens. So, let's do the credits on the show, shall we? Um, the sustaining backers of No Persinium are Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Samuel Mustry. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Our logo is by Dino Nama. Our executive editor remains Catherine Yu, who is now in grad school. So <laughs> at some point, some point, suddenly Catherine will not be returning her emails. Um, and a shout out to uh, the rest of the team. Uh, Blake Weil in uh, New York, uh, heading up the efforts there. Uh, Kevin Gossett running our L.A. reviews. Um, and uh, Brian Ressler up in San Francisco, and all of our writers all around the planet, which there are now literally too many to name, and also I just suddenly decided to start saying everybody's names like it was the end of Romper Room, and I do not have a list in front of me, and I apologize for that. So, you can reach us uh, if you have a show that you want to see up in the world. Pitches at noproscenium.com. We're at noproscenium on Twitter. You can check out our Instagram where there are amazing takeovers from all these incredible artists um, at no underscore proscenium. Just takeovers every few days. So uh, that is your kind of window into the world of immersive. Uh, Our Instagram is fantastic. You should check it out. Um, Noproscenium.com is how you find us. Patreon.com slash Noproscenium is how you keep us going. That's it. That's the show. Um, I'm your host, Noah Nelson. And until next time, oh, and um, we'll live stream again on Tuesday. That'll definitely happen. Uh, So check it out. Check out our YouTube. Um, What was I saying? Right. Oh, until next time, I'll see you at the show. 